Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. A man of the city who had demons met Jesus. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? Jesus asked, What is your name? He said, Legions, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding. The demons begged Jesus to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the men and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Then people came out to see what had happened. They found the man sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. They were afraid. All the people asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. This is the word of the Lord. Immediately before this story, Luke tells us that Jesus and the disciples were in a small boat on the Sea of Galilee. Now, you have to remember that ancients believed the earth was flat. They believed that there was not only water above them because it was blue and leaked on them from time to time, but that water was also beneath them because if one dug far enough, one came to water. So big bodies of water, like the Mediterranean, but even this freshwater lake called the Sea of Galilee was so deep they had never been to the bottom of it, and they imagined that there was some connection to this deep body of water with the abyss that lay below. When one reads about the great flood story of Noah, not only did it rain for 40 days and nights, but water came up from the abyss as well. So they didn't understand the winds that swirled around this little lake, and they didn't understand the water that suddenly became so choppy, and the little boat was tossed back and forth until Jesus spoke, and the winds stopped blowing, and the waves stopped pounding against the little boat, and the disciples asked, Who is this? Who is this man? that even the winds and the waves obey his voice. And then they went to Gerasa, Luke says. Now, Gerasa was an old city, more than 300 years old, founded by Alexander the Great when he controlled the Mediterranean world. By Jesus' time, of course, it's a Roman city. <clears throat> Think immediately Gentile. Luke even points out it was opposite Galilee. It's not on the west bank of the river. It's on the east bank of the river. It would be in modern-day Jordan. Gentiles, pig keepers, not Jews. Four things I've underlined about this story that I think are really important. Number one, we have a man who's in trouble. No doubt about it, Luke says, he had not lived in his home, in his town, in a long time. He was naked running frantically among the tombs where people were buried. A man in real trouble. There's a new movie out called Your Sister's Sister. One of the few now not being made for 13-year-old boys. Have you not read this? Movie makers today make movies for 13-year-old boys. If they can excite 13-year-old boys, they'll go three or four times. And so you have a lot of fast cars and shootings and killings and so on. Well, this is another one where people talk to each other. 
three main characters. One's a fellow named Jack. He's a young, good-looking guy whose brother died a year before. Jack hasn't gotten over that. Remember what happens when you see somebody who's grieving? They are thinking three things. I've lost somebody I love. Two, I could lose somebody else I love. Three, I could die myself. So a year after his brother has died, Jack is not doing well. The girlfriend of his now deceased brother, named Iris, is concerned about Jack, though she's still grieving as well. She said, Jack, my family has a cabin up in the hills. Why don't you take a key? Stay a few days all by yourself. It's a refreshing, beautiful place. He says, thank you very much, takes the key to the cabin, and drives away. When he gets there, there's somebody else at the cabin. Your sister's sister, Iris's sister, is there, Hannah. Hannah's just left a long-standing relationship. She's at the cabin all by herself, trying to sort of get herself together when Jack shows up. And she says, you can take that bedroom. I'm sleeping over here. After a few days, Iris decides maybe she should go up and check on Jack. And when she gets there, of course, she finds her sister's there with Jack. And so the movie's really about the three of them. I'm not nearly so interested in the plot as I am this line. One of the characters says to the other, I'm so tired of being dead. I would really like to be alive. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they say, when you're really sick and tired of being sick and tired, come to us. When you're really sick and tired of being sick and tired, you come to us. And Luke is telling you a story about a man who's sick and tired. Number two, <clears throat> this is a story about Jesus. Without a doubt, he is the focus Though the disciples are still quizzing each other, who, who is this man? But even winds and waves obey his voice. Well, the demons know who he is. Jesus, son of the most high God, don't torment me, go away. It's about Jesus. Gail and I have enjoyed our trips to Italy very much. You discover in Italy that not only are there great works of art in the big cities. I mean, you expect them in Rome. You expect them in Florence and Venice and Milano. But in the small towns, often you find masterpieces. One of those little towns is called Bergamo. Bergamo is one of the little hill towns. Hills run right down the, the middle part of Italy. And they're all beautiful. Many of them what they call have what they call the Chita Alta, the city old. It's usually right at the top of the hill. So when you get off the train, you have to hike up the hill or take a taxi. We're hikers. You hike up to the top of the hill to see the old town, 600 years old, an old medieval village, largely unchanged for 600 years. You can spend hours there if you like that sort of thing. But if you come back down the hill, then you get to where modern folks really live, lower Bergamo. And when you get down there, there is a beautiful museum. Because you see, 600 years ago, some of the people who lived in Bergamo 
had a lot of olive trees, and they had a lot of vines making grapes for wine, and they hired great artists to come to their little town as well. So when you go into this museum, you see this beautiful work. Bellini has a painting there called the Pietà with John. Now, you and I are most familiar probably with the Pietà of Michelangelo, a magnificent sculpture in the Vatican. Uh, Jesus dead, draped across the lap of his mother. But in many of the paintings of the Pietà, you not only have Jesus and Mary, you have others. <clears throat> in this one, Bellini has remembered how Jesus said from the cross, Woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. And that he takes that to mean John stayed right there by Mary until Jesus died, and he's helping her take the body down from the cross. It's magnificent. Foppa, not so well known as some of the others, but did really great work all those years ago during the Renaissance, has one there called the Three Crosses. You get a look at those who were hanged on either side of him. Jesus, that dark and threatening sky, really moving. And then Lotto. Lotto has a, an altarpiece, and often these altarpieces were in three sections so that they formed a backdrop in beautiful churches, cathedrals of different kinds. And of the three, I particularly like the one called the Entombment. Yes, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus have asked for the body of Jesus. Pontius Pilate wanted to know, is he really dead? You're sure he's really dead? Roman centurion thrust the spear up into his side. He's dead. Okay, you can have the body. So these two are frantically trying to get the body of Jesus into the tomb before the sun goes down to signal the Jewish Sabbath, trying to get that stone rolled over. And Mary is watching. She looks as if she may faint at any moment. This long, horrible day she's lived through. She's seen him breathe his last. She knows he's really dead. Now he's about to be sealed up in this horrible place with a big rock. All the paintings are about Jesus. They're all about Jesus. Jesus, son of the most high God, what have you got to do with me? Number three. Third thing you see immediately in Luke's story is that the man really is changed. As the story begins to spread, people come out from the town, from Bergaza, to see what is going on here in Jerasa, what's happened. And there they find the man, no longer naked, clothed, sitting quietly, not running frantically around, and in his right mind. Like other disciples sitting at the feet of the teacher change last Sunday morning I told you about Dr. Forney Hutchinson Martha Jo Bradley was kind enough to give me a book she was cleaning out one of her library and she asked if I had this book I didn't have it I'd never known there was such a book and so I started to read I finished it this week Dr. Forney Hutchinson born in 1875 Remember the story I told you last week? Three guys got on a train, went to Omaha, Nebraska, 
to try to convince an insurance company that held the lien on this building that they were honest people. They just didn't have any money during the Great Depression. They were a little behind on their payments. Just give them more time. Extend the loan. A movie theater had already made a bid on the building. These three were told by this insurance company, no one seems to know what phone calls were made, but they were told, here are three men. If your bishop will appoint one of them to be pastor, we'll extend the loan. When they got back to Oklahoma, the bishop said, well, this one's in a building program where he is. He's not moving. This guy's in a major fundraiser. He's not moving. Forney Hutchinson's, gee, he's 60 years old. He's not in good health. I don't know if he would come or not. Forney Hutchinson was pastor of Mount Vernon Church in Washington, D.C., but he was from Arkansas. He was born in a little bitty place called Nashville, Arkansas, right down in the southwest corner. It's not far from Texarkana, between Texarkana and Hope. He was born there. When he was a little boy, his mother died. She was 32. She had already given birth to five. Two of them had died in infancy. When she died, just three little boys left. He writes in his book how his daddy gathered these three little boys up, what few belongings they had, put them in the buggy, drove them over to his brother's house. His brother and his wife said, sure, they'd take in these three little boys. He said they were really good to us. And about a year later, one day, his daddy drove up in the buggy, called the little boys and said, I want you to meet my new wife. Dr. Hutchinson says she jumped down out of that buggy and threw her arms around all three of us, and she loved us with her whole heart till we buried her when she was 78. But he says his spiritual mentor was his grandmother, the mother of his mother who had died. She stayed close to those three little boys. She encouraged, encouraged, loved them to death. And I told you when he was 11 years old at an old camp meeting, hot, hot summertime in Arkansas, he felt that everything that was being said was being said right to him. And he went forward, confessed his faith, and was baptized. Did it change his life? You betcha. You betcha. A few years later, he felt called to preach. He was appointed to a little old, tiny Arkansas church. They said, you will board with the Joneses. There was no parsonage. The Joneses said, that'll be your bedroom, breakfast at 6.30 in the morning. He lived in their house. He had to ride a mule to church. He said it wasn't so bad in the wintertime, but in the summertime, the old mule had sweat on him. He said, I'd get off at church and I'd have mule hair all over my pants, and I'd have to brush myself down as carefully as I could before I could go in to preach. But some of these loving lay people saw to it that he got to go to Hendricks, our Methodist college in Conway. He was graduated there. And some others said, I'll help you a little. I'll help you a little. And he went to Vanderbilt to theological school, came back to Arkansas. At 33, he was pastor of the biggest church in Hot Springs. At 37, he was the district superintendent. At 39, he was pastor of First Methodist Church Little Rock, the biggest one in the state. 39 years old. But they had a law in the old Methodist Episcopal Church South. Four years, you have to move. They believe fresh ideas, fresh ideas. Every four years, everybody's got to move. Grandma's fruit basket turned over. He was at the biggest church. He'd been there four years. Next best shot, First Methodist Texarkana. He 
and his wife went there with their small children. But his bishop thought it wasn't right. It wasn't right that he be stepped down when he had done such a great job. So he started talking to the Oklahoma bishop, and the Oklahoma bishop said, I'd like to have him at St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. And after he got to St. Luke's, Oklahoma City, the law was passed in the old Methodist Episcopal Church South. This was before we reunited with the North in 1939. The law was passed that he didn't have to move every four years. He stayed at St. Luke's 14 years. And then he was asked, would he come to Mount Vernon Church in Washington, D.C.? He said he thought he did the best work of his life those two years. Then three guys from Tulsa, Oklahoma showed up and said they're about to lose their church and that he was their last hope. If he wouldn't go to Tulsa, Boston Avenue, they were going to lose their church to a, to a movie company. And he said he'd do the best he could. All through his life, he was troubled with malaria. He writes vividly about the bottomlands along the rivers in Arkansas where the mosquitoes bred by the thousands and thousands and how many people had malaria, and he, one of them, and he had complications from that, eventually affected his eyesight. He went to St. Louis on a train and had one eye operated on, came back and worked for a time here at Boston Avenue, got on a train, went all the way to Rochester to Mayo Clinic to have the other eye operated on, came back, was losing weight, not in good health, and he asked for a sabbatical. Could he have a little time off? The church voted that he could. He went, he and his wife rented a place on Mount Sequoia, where our jurisdictional camp is now. They were going to stay there a year and then come back. But after a short time, the Boston Avenue Church realized that even though he had cut the, the indebtedness in half in four years, they just couldn't go a whole year without more leadership. And a new pastor was appointed here, Dr. Bascom Watts, 11 years later would be elected a bishop of the church. Dr. Hutchinson, after his year of recuperation, was offered St. Paul's Church in Shawnee. From Boston Avenue, Tulsa, to Shawnee, he took it. He went, he and his wife, and the people there received him with such outstretched arms, they retired there in Shawnee. And he prayed that he would be able to live out his life as faithfully as his grandmother that while he was at Vanderbilt, she wrote regularly to him, encouraging, encouraging him. And then he got a letter in May one year saying, Forney, I'm afraid I'm really close to the end of the road. I wanted you to know how much I've always loved you. And the minute school was out, he said he rushed back to Arkansas to her bedside, and he was sitting there when he said, like a candle that's burned so brightly all these years, the flame finally flickered out. But I knew she went with all her heart to meet the Lord. You have to be changed if Christ Jesus comes into your life. Number four. Well, there were lots of folks at Gerasa who wanted no part of that. Dr. Fred Craddock says in his commentary on Luke, we imagine somehow that if only Jesus were here, we'd be perfectly at peace and at ease, when in fact, Jesus called people to be changed. And these people were not willing to change. 
They weren't yet sick and tired of being sick and tired. The man in the tombs was running around without his clothes on, not able to live at home in his hometown. He was ready. The rest of them, not so. Please, go away. Go away. Carol Gilbertson has written that she and her husband, two teenage daughters, were taking a vacation in Guatemala. She said, we want to see our, let our girls see how other people live in our own Western Hemisphere and not so far from our beloved United States. They were on the lake, Atitlan, came to a little town by ferry, and she said, we got off. We were enjoying wandering around this little town right there on the bank of the lake. Finally, my husband had gone off one direction, the two teenage girls in a slightly different one. She said, I was looking at all these little shops. I was fascinated. Some of the food they had made, uh, little scarves, dresses of different kinds. And suddenly I came to a woodcarver's shop. There was a crucifix there. Just caught my eye immediately. That tiny little figure hanging on the cross. All of it was a, a very blonde wood, except somehow this piece of block from which this carver had worked had a dark streak, and he had purposely made the face of Jesus out of that dark streak in the wood. So there was almost a shadow effect on his face as he was hanging there. I asked how much he wanted for it. It really wasn't much. But as I was trying to figure out if I wanted to spend that much or not, I heard the whistle on the ferry. We'd been warned there'd just be one more ferry run that afternoon. And I could see my husband motioning. I mean, see my daughters. So I ran. And we got on the ferry and started out. And just about the time we got halfway across, a storm came up. We'd been told that this lake in Guatemala, Atitlan, had been formed by volcanic activity and that there were hills around so that at certain times when the wind swooped down, there were violent little storms and everybody on this ferry was sitting in their seats, stiff as could be. I was really worried because we'd left Jesus in the village and I knew there was nobody on that ferry who could calm the winds and the waves. 